Greetings, everyone. I'm Sophia Chai, Assistant Director of the ACHP Innovation Center, and thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional programming from the 2022 ACHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting, focusing on innovation in pharmacy. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. What is digital health? Digital health is really this umbrella term used for any type of information or technology used in healthcare to improve um, health, patient health. So trying to manage illness, reduce health risk, promote wellness. And the scope is pretty much like anything you can think of because informatics and technology touch pretty much everything we do in patient care now. However, a lot of times when people are referring to digital health, they're more commonly referring specifically to telehealth. Um, so interacting with people uh, virtually and mobile health or M health. So in this presentation with digital health, we're gonna focus more on the um, wearable devices, mobile health and kind of telehealth stuff. So, Given uh, an example here of a patient, John Doe, that has chronic illnesses such as COPD, hypertension, and diabetes, admitted to the hospital on um, some day and treated there, receives excellent care and discharged, and then has a follow-up appointment in the clinic. So that's great. And then they have another clinic appointment, and then over a year or so, they've had several clinic appointments and eventually uh, decompensate with their um, COPD or have an exacerbation or something and are admitted back to the hospital. And so in this timeline of um, John Doe's care, we see these big blocks of an inpatient admission and that kind of information and content is in our electronic health record. Um, we have a lot of data in that setting even when they come into the clinic, even though that's like a short 20 minute kind of appointment, we're able to capture some like vital information and some more information about John Doe and his practice. But the question is, where does the majority of his care actually take place? Most healthcare actually takes place outside of the healthcare system. And so it's all that time in between the clinic visits, all that time in between hospital admissions where the majority of the care is actually happening. And in this um, timeline, I've tried to sh show like um, a comparison between the data and the time that we have in an inpatient ambulatory setting kind of all lumped together. And then the purple bar at the bottom is all the time and potential data on the outside of the healthcare system. So digital health is really a field in informatics that studies what happens where most healthcare actually takes place, or i.e. outside of the healthcare system. So all that time and interactions in between um, our interactions with the patient. Plus a focus on technology and a focus on the patient perspective. So um, we're trying to focus more on how we can uh, make things usable for the patient, more patient facing, whereas on the inpatient side, a lot of times we're trying to focus on like clinician facing kind of interventions and clinical decision support. In digital health, it's more of a focus on the patient's perspective, um, targeting the, the patient. So digital health is healthcare that occurs in between visits, 
Plus it prioritizes the patient perspective and it leverages technology in doing so. The, in the future of pharmacy, digital health is playing uh, a big role. Uh, there was this paper by Fox and colleagues describing that all models of pharmacy practice for the future forecast use informatics to enable patient outcomes. And so, like I said, it kind of touches everything we do, but in the digital health realm, we're trying to focus on how can we have more of an impact in between those encounters with the health system. So why digital health? Well, chronic conditions and mental health account for 90% of healthcare expenditures in the US. So that is a lot. Um, about 67% of Medicare beneficiaries have two or more chronic conditions, and they account for 94% of all spending in Medicare. Digital health has this promise and opportunity to improve health outcomes and deliver an improved patient experience all while trying to reduce costs. Because if we can be more proactive in the prevention in between the visits, then we have fewer encounters with the um, health system and can save on money there and improve patient um, quality of life in between. So when you look at what digital health looks like for medication adherence, right? So we know the importance of medication adherence with our patients. We know the, there are plenty of studies out there that talk about how that improves patient outcomes, right? And so traditionally, this is right up our space as pharmacists in looking at different pathways and different avenues. And while we've been given a lot of um, tools and strategies, we all understand motivational interviewing, and we focus on this predominantly in um, our practice and counseling patients, but what are the opportunities that we can leverage within the technological space to allow us to improve medication adherence? So this uh, particular um, program here, there was a study that was done um, with a particular app uh, called Care For Today. And so in this app, um, they were able to improve patient adherence within an HIV patient population. So the study asked for patient preference, if they would like to receive a text message, or uh, if they would like a pre-developed mobile application, okay? So the app would provide reminders for taking their medication as well as tracking um, their appointments and other health factors. It was really interesting because in the study, they were able to see that twice as many people preferred the mobile app compared to the text messaging. And it's really interesting because in, in the current climate of how we communicate, most of us nowadays, I would say, show of hands, how many people prefer a text over a phone call? That's about right with our patient populations as well, right? They would prefer uh, a text over a phone call. But in this study, they were actually really interested in trying to utilize the, the application. And so patients were most likely, more likely to choose the app. Um, and looking at uh, one thing that probably is coming to mind is what was the education factor. They said that this was predominantly high in patients um, who had an education level above high school. And so uh, that was one aspect that they looked at. And then also, um, you're probably thinking, depending on your patient population, well, you know, some of my patients will never look at an app. Well, they said if they had the assistance of a clinical staff member to set this up, they were all on board, right? So as you can see, these were, uh, this was a slide set presented, uh, or provided to us by Kevin, um, looking at different screenshots and a picture of um, the Apple Watch with the different reminders. So you can see 
how this is being integrated with um, within the, the space. I would just add um, one other thing about like the notifications on Apple Watch. Apple, with its latest update to the health app, will now um, give you reminders for taking medications and stuff. So this is something that a lot of people can have access to now um, for these kinds of reminders. Yeah, the 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 watch the the medication reminder update in uh, Apple. It's really interesting because I got in trouble because my wife started using it and I was fussing at her about making sure she took one of her medications. She said, you can stop talking to me about it because I now have Apple to remind me. So, <laughs> you know, technology, especially in what Apple and a lot of the uh, wearables are integrating, I think we're going to continue to see a very um, uh, increased opportunity within that space. So just to continue following up with the study, there was a follow-up study that was done with this patient population, and they found that about half of the patients continued using the app after 90 days, but that after a 30-day follow-up, the patients reported a more than 95% adherence to their HIV therapy. And so this was much more common um, with those that were using the mobile app compared to non-users. So as we all know, if you're in the HIV patient population, how essential it is to having uh, medication adherence. Um, this study really kind of honed in on, on the impact of the adherence with the application here. So this next uh, topic here that we're gonna talk about is um, the eTECT RxID CAP system. Um, so this was one of the first ones that can't come to market. So this ID CAP system, it's another way of looking and utilizing um, a technology to measure uh, adherence with oral medications in a uh, kind of a remote patient monitoring type of um, system. The eTECT RX system uses a, a capsule that when it's swallowed, the gastric acid um, activates the digital pill. And so it's using the gastric uh, kind of motility there, which sends a radio frequency to a signal or to a receiver that's worn on the hip of the patient. And then that data is then transmitted to a cloud-based server. Um, that can be seen on an app or a dashboard. So it's a really interesting I and mean, really unique opportunity here to look at patient adherence. And so obviously um, there's, there's a potential for a variety of different studies. And this company was looking at different ways that you, they could use this. So one of the studies that they looked at um, actually was in the emergency department. And they were looking at acute bone, bone fractures. And so as we all know, we have a lot of patients um, as we know with the opioid epidemic, there's a lot of patients that they, their first experience with opioids is actually coming out of an emergency room setting. And so this uh, company did this study where they were looking at acute bone fractures. Patients were educated about this digital pill and how to use the system and how to use the um, biosensor in the capsule. And so it, uh, essentially the, the reader that it comes up with that the signal is translated to, and then the phone application for their opioid use post-discharge. Research team put oxycodone tablets prescribed to patients inside these capsules. Eight out of 10 patients found the system highly acceptable, and nine out of 10 reported a willingness to continue to use the digital pill to improve uh, adherence monitoring. Interesting to that follow-up was that they also did research for this um, specific to the HIV AIDS population, so as we mentioned before, the importance of medication adherence. 
And so during the COVID-19 pandemic, they really found an opportunity to look at adherence, as we've seen with the um, medications that have come out, um, really trying to identify what are the opportunities and the impact of adherence when we're looking at the medications that were used. So I think the results of that study are, are coming out and are ongoing within this group to look at the adherence impacts. But it's really interesting to see how in this technology they're able to look at adherence from the actual ingestion of a product, whereas you'll see, and we'll talk about some other things that have, uh, other technologies that have been around where you have adherence packaging, you have adherence um, boxes, right? Then we have a lot of adherence tools that patients use. But the million dollar question is, how do we know that our patients are actually ingesting the medication? And so this is one example of a technology that's out there that, that is utilizing this. So another technology that's out there, as you can see, is, and as Scott mentioned, right, one of the challenges that we have is around chronic disease and uh, the cost associated with chronic medications. So we all know we have patients that are out there with asthma and COPD and the challenges that occur with patients consistently using their inhaler. When to use their inhaler? What is impacting the use of that inhaler, right? Is it their environment? Were they exercising? Um, are they, were they educated on how to use the inhaler? So this is another example of a company that is um, uh, using an adherence tool technology. And so there is a uh, top, so you can see from this graphic here, you see the whole inhaler, but the inhaler itself is not all entirely a digital technology. It's actually the top part that can be applied to an inhaler um, that transmits the usage to a smartphone app. And so it's this uh, top that is actually des uh, delivering the information and identifying the potential triggers as well as helping to monitor patient adherence and the use of their inhalers, right? So I bring, um, I think this is really interesting because this is one of the um, first companies to come out with a um, kind of a, a digital uh, adherence piece to inhaler technology. Um, but this, uh, what's been really interesting is I think there have been quite a few companies to kind of take this and elevate it to the next level. So just out of curiosity, show of hands here, has anyone heard of the company called Digihaler? Uh, one or two hands. So um, obviously we had these slides uh, submitted, but I would have liked to have shown a t uh, some imaging around Digihaler. So Digihaler is a company that is taking a similar concept but rather than having a cap at the top, they actually have the whole inhaler as a digital um, technology. So not only will it measure adherence and the quality of the air that is in the environment that the patient is taking it, but it's actually looking to measure flow rates. So we know how important it is for patients to see if they're actually appropriately using their inhaler. So this company has kind of taken that, this technology to the next step to see how effectively the patients are getting that medication. So we could see kind of as, as these companies are coming on board, folks are saying, oh, this is a great idea. How can we continue to evolve the technology? So the next example here we have is something uh, uh, from a group. So we, we've seen, as I mentioned before, we have all different types of uh, adherence packaging that's out there. Adherence packaging is not a novel concept to uh, the pharmacy space. Um, we've been doing bubble packing for quite some time, 
in a lot of different community pharmacy settings. Um, but this is really interesting because this particular system um, really has a stepwise process to really identifying patient adherence. And I think a big um, opportunity for this where this company was really highlighting was in various um, supportive facilities, so assisted living facilities and um, skilled nursing facilities. Because um, as you can see from this uh, uh, technology here for the packaging, there's six different components that are associated with this. You have the uh, patient hub, as you can see in the top right. Uh, you have the weekly strips where each pod has a built-in scanning tag. The lids are easy to open and close, and they've got a hidden security strap if you are traveling with this. Um, and then additional strips that can be acquired as well. You have the scanned tags, which you can see down at the, at the bottom here. And these scan tags adhere directly to the pill bottles and you have uh, different na uh, naming systems. At the bottom right, this is what was really interesting to me, is that they had what looks, if you can see, there's a, uh, what looks like little dog tags. And so these tags are actually designed for folks to identify different types of um, uh, uh, medications that may not necessarily fit in their pill box. So for example, if a patient is using eye drops or ear drops, um, they were able to tag the bottle and then have the tag as a wearable. Uh, and then they also have uh, something that they offer called a mood cube. So patients can um, kind of press the cube to identify what's their, their mood, what's their state. And for those uh, that have been involved in um, either mental health or various nursing facilities, um, that's a question that is consistently asked amongst patients when evaluating kind of their, their uh, status, if you the mental health status. And then there's this last part called um, the, the, the pill drill, which is really just their application. So as you can see, there's a lot of moving parts for a very thorough and effective adherence product. Um, but I'm sure a lot of you guys are thinking, well, I, this may not be something that is easily translatable to a patient. But I bring this up not necessarily to say that this is to be used in mass, but we can see where the technology is going, where you know it's going from traditional uh, pill boxes that patients are just putting them in to where we're seeing that these companies are now looking to integrate um, the digital technology, the wireless technology, Bluetooth that's there, so that we can have applications that can be used. And there are a lot of companies that are coming out with different um, types of uh, uh, application-based uh, technology that ties back into the uh, pill boxes. And as Scott mentioned, with the updates to the iPhone, it's only going to be, or your Apple Watch, it's only a matter of time before they continue to look to evolve and tie that in as well. Uh, so this slide here, um, we mentioned Proteus Digital Health, and the reason, um, there's a couple of different takes to kind of bring this up. The first one is that when Proteus came on board, there was a lot of money invested into this company because they were looking at um, uh, utilizing um, a generic antipsychotic to treat schizophrenia, and they were looking at a product that was going to be a drug-device combination to help patients take as prescribed. And so the technology behind it was supposed to help with adherence. Um, unfortunately, one, the cost for that device was three times the cost of the traditional drug product, so there was a cost issue. <coughs> 
But this brings up another point that we will talk about later on around barriers and kind of how to really stay up to date with technology and why it's important to understand where these technology companies are. Uh, this company actually wound up going bankrupt and then being bought out by another entity. So when you search for them, they're no longer in existence and you'd have to go to the parent company um, that purchased the assets of digital health. So it's one of those things where we bring this up because one, while the technology is good and great, there's always going to be, technology is always going to be evolving. You're always going to see changes. You're going to see companies acquiring other companies. So it's very important to stay up to date on where these companies are, what are they evolving to, what are their product lines, and who are they collaborating with next because that might be where you're going to have to go to get the information that you want. Uh, so we're here on our next um, question, uh, poll question, which is which adherent solution has been used for evaluating opioid use in the ED setting. So the eTECT RX, the pill drill, propeller health, or care for today. Give a second to think about it. And it's the eTECT RX. So that was that um, uh, ingestible uh, digital technology that was there. <laughs> All right, so we're going to shift gears uh, for just a second. We're going to talk about a particular um, uh, technology that has really exploded, especially over the last few years with uh, the impacts of COVID. And we're going to talk about digital health as it relates to, re relates to remote physiologic monitoring. Um, so I'm going to hand the clicker back over to Scott so he can talk a little bit about kind of the foundations and then we're going to share a little bit into some clinical insights and experience that we've um, had in this space. Great, thank you Swat. So kind of with these mobile devices, there's a lot of other things that can be used to monitor like the physiological state of a patient that are also being adopted into the digital health strategy, having apps and connections and things like that. So um, there are pulse oximeters and smart weight devices that can alert you if there's like a sudden gain in weight, um, like in heart failure and stuff. There are blood pressure cuffs that connect to apps in your phone and um, even some of the insulin pumps and continuous blood glucose sensors and a lot of other technology that kind of is helping to monitor the physiological state of the patient. One of the cool advances in this, um, related specifically to pharmacy practice though, is that um, in 2015, CMS introduced chronic care management, which was a concept that if there were um, a patient with greater than two chronic disease states, that they could bill for non-face-to-face -face services. In 2018, they finalized a CPT code for remote patient monitoring, so then people could get um, reimbursed for these kinds of services in between the clinic visits. In 2019, they expanded that to include other types of uh, physiological monitoring and even like implementation and teaching a patient about how to use their devices and stuff. Um, and then in 2020, a new CPT code for um, additional monitoring by clinical staff and expanded supervision from being direct to being general. And so this provides a lot of opportunity for pharmacists, although not recognized as providers by CMS, to collaborate with providers and provide um, remote physiological patient monitoring and be able to get reimbursed through it uh, for it through this general kind of 
um, monitoring. And so uh, remote physiological monitoring includes the collection, analysis, and assessment and interpretation of this digitally collected physiological data. And here are some examples of the CPT codes that are used for billing for this kind of service. Um, and it also does um, require that there's interactive communication with the patient or caregiver. And one of the neat things that this can also do from like the pharmacy's perspective is in analyzing like the patient's physiological response, but also provides a lot of opportunity for like MTM kind of um, things and talking about their medications and side effects and just having more access and connection to the patient. And so one of the really great examples of this, there was a, a paper published recently um, on RX Clinic Pharmacy, which has now been renamed. Um, and um, SWA is our expert in the kinds of experiences that they've had in this remote physiological monitoring from a pharmacy perspective. So I'll turn the time back over to SWA. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things real quick. I, I just want to highlight some things that Scott mentioned around kind of the, the codes and and remote physiological monitoring as a service. So as, as he highlighted, even though we are not recognized as providers, this is a tremendous opportunity for pharmacists to collaborate with providers to support practices and institutions in both, as he mentioned, not only remote physiological monitoring, but chronic, chronic care management. These are two particular services where, because of the way that the supervision has been identified, um, for these service sets that pharmacists, if you look at what these programs entail and what these services entail, it is literally our bread and butter, folks. It really is. When you talk about the impact that you can make in these services, and these are services that our, our team works with. So as I mentioned to you guys, um, so RX Clinic Pharmacy uh, is the name that we were formerly known as, and that's what our publications were under before we recently underwent uh, a rebrand. And so. Um, our, our team has been working with providers, both the providers that we have within our medical practice settings that we collaborate with, and then external partners that we work with as well, where we work with them to be their support staff for providing these services. Because as, as you guys are all very well aware, in the primary care space, a lot of medical providers are extremely busy. We've all been to our doctor's offices primary care offices, and they are extremely busy seeing patients, whether it's because of the number of patients that they need to see to help in particular quality measures that they're trying to accomplish. There's 50,000 things that they're trying to do in order to take care of that patient. Well, we all know as well, as Scott pointed out, that even though majority of patients that are being cared for, that care is happening outside, if you think about it, Statistics have shown, and you can look at a lot of different research and um, digest from the NCPA that show that patients typically interact with their providers about three to four times a year, maybe. They're interacting with their pharmacist about nine to 10 times a year, right? So the opportunity to interact with these patients in that external, uh, the primary care space is very prevalent, right? So. This fits in very well to say, okay, if we're looking at how we can impact patient care with patients uh, beyond just the traditional dispensing model or beyond just a consultation that we're having with that patient, how can we collaborate with providers to elevate our care for our patients to the next level? And as many of you guys are aware, as we're transitioning into a value-based healthcare model, 
they're not looking at number of patients you're seeing per day. They're looking at patient impact. And these primary care providers are desperately looking at ways in which they can improve how they're seeing patients. And what better way to do that than to navigate the, the patient experience and, uh, with pharmacists? So I say all of that because that is what we have done over the last five years. Now, when we first started in remote patient monitoring, it was a disaster. <laughs> and I say that because we didn't really know what we were getting into because unlike a program or service like chronic care management where you're working within the space of chronic care management and you're working with that patient every month for 20 minutes, there wasn't any particular device management that was needed or any type of inventory system that was needed or a platform to get the device. So it was a really simple entry point for us. But we said we're already doing this, so let's explore what remote physiological monitoring looks like. So we first started and we had about 20 patients that we were getting ready to, to get going with. And when we first started with those 20 patients, we had no idea what we were doing. We were talking to them. We didn't realize that we had to have 16 readings, even though we thought it would be easy to get the 16 readings. We had no idea how we were going to manage our inventory because we were trying to help support the providers to make sure that they didn't have to worry about the inventory themselves. So there's a lot of different considerations in the beginning that we really struggled with, but that struggle was absolutely worth it. And the reason I say that is because now, I, I think the last number I received from my team was that we are in care of over 1,200 patients across all of the different opportunities that we've been involved in. And the system that's been designed, right, that's gonna be individualized to every different setting and every different environment. But what has been really interesting really cool to see is the interventions that are being made by our pharmacists. And that's really what I wanted to share with you guys today. So for example, there was a patient that we had that had been recently discharged from the hospital due to a heart failure issue, okay? So we uh, spoke with their primary care provider to say, how can we make sure this person doesn't become a frequent flyer? So we talked to them about enrolling them into an RPM program uh, that we were already doing with them. So this patient, we gave them a scale. So we educated the patient on the purpose of the scale and the importance of the scale. And this patient, over the course of, I think, two months, had uh, kind of fluctuations happen, I think, every two to three weeks in which that patient was able to get seen by that provider or was able to get support from the pharmacy team so they would not have impacts of, of having to go back into the hospital because of increased fluid. The provider would just talk to us or talk to, or we'd be talking to the provider about the impacts that we've had in monitoring that patient. And we get a prescription for Lasix that that patient could take navigating their fluid issues. So that was really cool to see and seeing how, you know, something as simple as a weight scale could really impact. One other thing, and what's probably most common that we've seen in this space is the use of blood pressure monitoring across hypertensive patients, right? We know that's one of the big three in chronic care management. And so I cannot tell you how many times I've had various conversations with our provider, our clinical pharmacist providers, um, about what is happening within that particular space of hypertension. 
we have seen so many times where patients have had blood pressure readings that come back 180, 200, 220. We're able to immediately contact them, immediately contact their provider, get them either into our clinic or get them into practice where they're either given clonidine or something to help bring them down and prevent them from going to the hospital, right? Uh, I have story after story of that and story after story of follow-up that also talks about the impact that those patients have experienced to say thank you for that, being in a, a part of that program. Um, probably one of the most interesting stories that I, I'll share though is around, we had a patient that we were trying to enroll in remote physiological monitoring and um, the company that we use um, had a term, I'm trying to keep the CE correct here, but the company that we use had a term in its name that made this patient really concerned about um, monitoring of the individual. And so when we enrolled the patient and we had them start using the devices, about two days later, the patient actually, um, when we delivered medications to the patient, the patient actually returned the device. When we got on the phone with the patient, she was really worried and really upset that we would provide a remote monitoring device that would be monitoring their body. The thought process from the patient was that, that this device was monitoring everything that they were doing. And so they were very concerned that we were monitoring all of their activities to the point to where she thought, did you know what I had for dinner the other day? She asked, she was like, can you see what I'm cooking? So we have to be very cognizant as we are approaching the digital health space and understanding where the opportunities are that our patients need a tremendous amount of education in the space. Because while we know that there's tremendous benefit to our patients being involved in digital health and remote monitoring, as we know for right now, as the payer structure is, that most of the patients that are involved are going to be Medicare patients. Now we're seeing in um, various states and even, uh, I'm located in Charlotte, North Carolina, and even in North Carolina during the pandemic, there were opportunities for various third party payers and also with Medicaid, where we were able to do remote physiological monitoring with Medicaid patients. So I would encourage everybody as you go back and if you're interested in doing this, look to see what opportunities are within your state. We start with Medicare as we talk and introduce this topic because we know Medicare is a national payer and the opportunity is there across the board. But if you have, you know, if you're thinking about your patient population saying, well, how can I do this when my patients are primarily Medicaid or I have primary third party, you never know because we're seeing in the change in the healthcare systems and the value-based models, there's a lot of opportunity for this to really um, take off. If you are working with various um, managed care organizations like ACOs and things like that, there are opportunities within that space that, they, again, they're all looking for what is the best way to improve our patient care where we're not creating a lot of expenditure because our patients continue to be frequent flyers into the hospital. It's a whole lot more money for ACOs and other um, managed care organizations to spend on the readmissions right, versus having those patients actually get a device. So there's a lot of discussion in the digital space happening in the value-based model because they're trying to see what are the different avenues with which we can prevent so we can 
improve quality of patient care. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to visit www.ashp.org innovation for more ways ASHP is helping to innovate pharmacy practice. And check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2022 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Sophia Chai from ASHP Official, and thank you for listening.